Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. I'm Nigeria's Best, one of your, reg your regular hosts, I'm joined by Phoenix Agenda, who's also, one of, who's also the regular host. And today we've got two guests. Our first guest is Afro7 on Twitter. By day, she is a banking professional in the city of London. And by night, she is a culture critic. And uh, these days, she's spent her time focused on Big Brother Nigeria. Uh, our other guest is his Twitter handle is Eloka51. Uh, by day, he is a trade finance specialist in Toronto. And by night, he tweets mainly on Nigerian politics and sometimes dabbles into the politics of the Middle East as well. So firstly, welcome to all of you. Thank you very much, Gege and Phoenix Agenda for having me once again. Thank Hi, you everyone. very much for having me again. Thank you. Okay, so over to this week's politics. Uh, it's been interesting times in Nigeria, but this week has been particularly interesting. And the first story is the drama in Edo State. So uh, it first of all started this week with the strange announcement that the Speaker of the Edo State House of Assembly had been impeached. Obviously, it came as a surprise to the Speaker because he wasn't at the sitting and his understanding was that Parliament had been shot. So it wasn't shot. So it wasn't quite clear how this impeachment took place. But it, it, it appears that 17 of the 24 members of the House met in another location and decided to impeach him. Uh, the governor of the state and his allies then decided to take, keep hide the mace and lock up the House of Assembly and then also take off the roof, claiming that there was renovation. Uh, that, that appeared to be their, their way of uh, shutting down uh, the, the plans of the, of the, of the uh, APC camp. So first of all, to Phoenix, um, what is going on? Um, how are 17... Uh, members of the House impeaching the other, and how are they meeting in a location that is not the House of Assembly? So what, what really is going on? Uh, i just start by saying um, thanks to Afro7 and Eloka for joining us today, and uh, hi to our listeners. Um, always great to get the feedback we've been getting, so we're really, really happy about that. I think, I mean, Edo offers us um, the most recent, um, how would I put it, um, comedic, um, episode in Nigeria, there's always something going on and, and which is great for us anyways, we find things to talk about. Um, this issue of uh, impeachment and uh, members of the um, House of Assembly in, uh, in Edo State meeting somewhere else to, to impeach their speaker dates back to June last year when the, the I think the elections happened and and um, the House, which is supposed to be of 24 members, um, of course, because at that time you already had the issue between Oshomole and Obaseki, uh, 10 of them reportedly were in the Obaseki camp and 14 others were in the Oshomole camp. And through some shenanigans, um, um, Obaseki uh, proclaimed the, the, the new House of Assembly period opened 
with only 10 people. And those 10 people met to uh, elect a speaker amongst themselves. The other 14 were not inaugurated. They were not, they didn't join. They've, they've gone to court. Uh, Obaseki's action was upheld by the court and they're still struggling against that. So all of a sudden we now have today, following all of, all of what has happened between Obaseki and Oshomole and the drama that has gone on and with Oshomole being moved out and with Obaseki crossing over to the PDP, these guys then decided, um, of course, egged on by some powers within the APC now, given that the governor has crossed over to the PDP, um, this then came together to get sworn in uh, by the deputy clerk and decided to impeach um, the speaker and name um, and then elect a new speaker amongst themselves. Now, what I understand is that three out of the 10 joined them, so there's 17. Now, the interesting thing is in a, in a, in a, in a 24 member body, you need uh, two thirds of the body to, to ratify anything. 17 meets that requirement because so so really if if i mean they could get away with this from a legal perspective the only challenge they have is that there's a legal precedent um from the supreme court that says that you can only um the a, a, a house of assembly or a, a legislative body can only meet in the premises that has been set up for it so that's where there will be a challenge but I expect that this will continue to rage on. Um, Obaseki has decided to meet them head on and also um, make sure that they're not able to meet in the house. And that's, that's the whole essence, to make sure that they cannot meet in, that in their House of Assembly building so that they cannot, I mean, if they can impeach their speaker, what's stopping them from impeaching the governor before um, the elections happen and then therefore hampering him from being able to go through with his re-election bid um, but definitely there's, there's, there's a lot of drama that there's still to come. Well, thank you, Phoenix, for setting up the background to, of, to the events. But on to Afro 7. The interesting part of this whole debate was, as the drama was going on, Bola Tinubu in Lagos State, who is the, uh, who is the so-called leader of the APC, issued a statement condemning Governor Basaki's conduct, i.e. His, his shutting down of the parliament and accused Governor Basaki of running a dictatorship. So the question is, or as, as Nigerians would ask, what is Tinubu's business with what is going on in Edo State? Why is he involved, involving himself in the, in the debate? Thank you, Michael. I mean, the last time I was here, we, t we spoke about Tinubu's 2023 ambitions, and obviously this isn't far from the same reason. Um, control, maintaining control of Edo states is very important to his future ambitions. That gives him a connection to the coffers, it gives him a connection to the structure, as they say in Nigerian political parlance. So that for me is essentially what this is about, keeping his quote-unquote strongholds in the South, in the South-South, and then using that as a springboard, you know, to the country. Um, if things go red in, um, in, uh, for him in Undo, you will hear statements, similar statements coming from him. Essentially, this is about his own personal ambition. It's not about Edo, it's not about its people, it's about his own personal standing. Um, before what, before four months now? Up to four months ago, sorry, what was it before? When was the Edo State primaries? In February or so? Uh, 
No, it was probably a month ago. Probably about. Oh, just a month ago, my goodness. A month and a half, yeah. Prior to about seven weeks ago, you know, Obaseki would have been an APC guy and none of this would come out. He wouldn't be a dictator then because he'd be their guy, you know. So um, I hope Nigerians see through all this. I keep hoping, I hope that they're not distracted because it's obvious what's going on. Um, I hope Governor Obaseki understands the kind of obstacle he's got to surmount. But these games are not new anyway, in terms of Nigerian, uh, in terms of the Nigerian political sphere. We've seen it before, we've seen it before in Rivers, we've seen it before, I think, in Bayelsa, and we're seeing something that looks like it's in Lagos. Because as you know, the current speaker of Lagos State is under a deluge of, of corruption accusations. And of course, you know, he that is not a dictator in Lagos would not allow the, uh, <laughs> the Lagos State House of Assembly to do its duty and conduct some due diligence and actually take a vote. They're not allowed to do that in Lagos, you see. And Lagos is not a, 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 a dictatorship. It's an Edo that he can see dictators. That's the entire irony of the situation. No, thank you for uh, shedding light on that. I was just going to ask you a, a follow-up question because one of the things uh, PDP has been, one of the, the PDP campaign slogans is Edo is not Lagos. And from your perspective, do you think that's an effective slogan for the, to, to tell the Edo people that Edo is not Lagos? Well, I mean, that's obviously building on the Autogare campaign that was launched in Quara, which I thought was probably the best uh, political slogan I've heard as a, as a Southwesterner um, in Nigerian political history, saying Autogare, which means it's enough or enough is enough in Edo with reference to interference by the Saraki family. So obviously the PDP now is now leveraging on that in, uh, in Edo because the fear of Lagos, the fear of being co controlled remotely by Lagos is a strong one. You know, it's, it's humiliating, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's emasculating. It's emasculating for the local political structure. So obviously they can sell it to the people that however bad Obaseki is, he is still ours. We still maintain control at home. We are not being remotely controlled by Godfather far away in Lagos, do you understand? So I think it's a, it's a good slogan. It depends on how, on on the governor's own the governor's own uh, uh, interpretation of that through his actions. It's one thing to have a slogan; it's another thing to be a quiet lapdog. Are you a man of action? Can you rile your people up behind your court? Do you understand? So that's essentially what it depends on. But I like I like the slogan. I like it. No, I think I quite uh, agree. And because uh, at first I was a bit indifferent. And I was thinking, is, is it effective? But now that you've just explained it, I, I can imagine a proud Edo person thinking, what is going on? How can a governor be remote controlled from Lagos? We'd rather have one who we know is answerable to us as opposed to one in Lagos. So I think it, it may be effective, but obviously the elections, will, uh, time will tell. But I was going to bring in Eloka at this point because the cable reported on the fact that the Inspector General of Police has now provided security to the, in quotations, a rebel group of House of Assembly members. That's the 17 who are loyal to uh, Oshiomone and opposed to Obaseki. And the cable reported that the Inspector General was given the order by, by Malami, the Attorney General. So the question is, why are they reporting these things as if Buhari is not involved? And is, is that correct? Is it that Buhari is not involved or what is going on? Um, thank you very much, Gege. Like, I don't know, I've, I've said this time so many times here that there's this thing that, I don't know whether it's, it's, it's an ideology to paint Buhari as a saint. I don't believe Buhari is not, even if he's not aware, it's his, I mean, the box stops at his desk. 
Now, I don't know, I don't know on, on whose authority Malami authorized the IGP to provide security. But, what, but I, I, need, I need us to go, go, a little, go back in time to see where this idea of impeaching a governor that has gone out of war came from. I don't know if you recall back in 1999 when Obasanjo, we had a governor called Chimaroki Namani. He had a fallout with his godfather, um, Jim Obodo. I don't know whether you guys recalled what happened. At some House of Reps, House of Assembly members went all the way to Abuja and tried to impeach him. I don't know. It, it didn't work, obviously, because, I mean, they couldn't stay out of they had The only way they could impeach Chimaroki was to come back to the house, right, and impeach him. And so Chimaroki locked up the House of Assembly for a very long time. I don't know whether it was a year or six months or nine months, but so it happened. He, he, this, he, this trying to impeach governors showed up itself. I think he was in Fire Six time. Well, I don't know whether it was Fire Shea. I think 2000. Yeah, it happened with Fire Shea. It happened with Fire Shea. So, what I think has happened here is maybe this is panic mode by the APC, right? They've seen that um, Obaseke might not be a pushover. So you're going to first, you're going to try to first do the easiest thing, which is get House of Assembly members to impeach him. What impeaching Obaseki does for APC is like he, it removes the, the power of the state from him. But, but the, the question, the, I'm not sure this was all thought out because if you impeach Obaseki, who are you going, who's going to be the governor? His depth is going to be governor. That's Shribe, right? Yeah. Are you also going, are you also going to impeach Shribe too? Because what, what I think happened was that they must have spoken to Shribe and said, do you know what? We're going to impeach um, Obaseki, right? And we need your support. He may have fooled them saying, yes, I'll support you. Because if you recall, the video that was, that was circulated online was, it was Shribe that led the, um, the guy that went to dump granite and stuff in front of the House of Assembly uh, complex. So I have a feeling he was aware. It's possible Obaseki was not aware. So I think Shribe is the man that knew what was happening. So Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out. And I think public opinion is now, now resides of Baseki. So uh, the mistake has been made by APC by trying to take this truth. And obviously, any governor who is fighting a godfather would want to prevent this. You very well know that your godfather is going to try and use the House of Assembly to keep in check. Just like what Afro 7 said, anybody, Tinubu controls the House of Assembly in Lagos. So if you misbehave, he's going to use them to keep you in check, which is why nothing has happened to the current speaker of the House of Assembly in Lagos. So APC has made a blunder. As for providing security, I don't know why people try to absorb borrow of any blame. Everything is his fault, if you ask me. Whether it was Malambi that authorized the IGP or it was Mamandara that authorized the IGP, why is, the, why is the president of Nigeria? And so anything that happens within Nigeria, any security, I mean, Obaseki couldn't have authorized the IGP to provide security for this guy. So it's, it's Bari. So anybody trying to say it's not Bari or Bari is not aware, he's just lying to himself or herself. Everybody knows that it's Bari. I think, I think there's, an, there's an issue here that we need to also look at. Though. There are a couple of things that come to my mind. Um, I think, the, I mean, if we look at the issue of providing security, I really don't see anything wrong with it because nobody has said that these people are not uh, properly elected representatives of the people. Yeah. And if they're not being allowed to do their work, Obaseki should not be allowed to get away with that. I also think that this idea of governors locking up or making national assembly or the House of Assembly the seat of the 
legislature on um, inaccessible to legislators to have, avoid being impeached is something that needs to be challenged. Now, I don't know if it will, it, if it's possible for it to be challenged under under this Buari administration because, I mean, like you said, I mean, there's things that he's aware of, there are things that he's not aware of. I'm not really sure the man is up for good governance or interested in that. There's no evidence of that for the last few years. But this is not good for democracy because, I'm sorry, people have been elected as members of the legislature. It is within their rights to be to impeach people if they can find the numbers. You do not have a right to stop people from meeting because they want to impeach you. I mean, that has to stop. So whether it's right or not, there needs to be a pushback against that. Yes, um, Afro Seven, I think you were going to say something in response to yeah, Phoenix. Um, like, sometimes I get frustrated with these discussions because we act as if Nigeria is not what it is. Look, everybody's playing dirty. The, legisl the legislature who intends to, uh, to, uh, to impeach the executive is playing dirty. So the executive is going to play dirty in return. I'm not in any way justifying these things, but you can't expect one side to act according to the law and be naked to the results of one side acting duplicitously. How has the legislature played dirty? On what basis... I'm speaking generally here, and I'm certain if I had time to sit down and go through whatever it is they've accused the governor of, I will find one or two things to talk about. I'm speaking generally, because it's never, it's never a matter of the legislature has clean hands and the executive has dirty hands, or vice versa. These people are playing the same games at the expense of Nigerians, but let's keep it all the way real here. It's never about the law. It's always about personal aggrandizement or, or, or goalpost shifting or this guy wants to leave this party to join another. It's never about anything of substance. It's about personal gain at the end of the day. And each party knows how to play it well. So they're going to fight with the weapons that they both know how to draw. And that's illegality. That's underhandedness. And that's just the way it goes. So obviously mm -hmm. we, can have this, we can have these highfalutin conversations and be like, oh, yes, the legislation should stop. No. Everybody fight the way you know how. No, that's, <laughs> because... that's wrong. I, will never, I mean, I will never stand for that. I, un I understand what you're saying, but I'm just being realistic. No, that's not, that's not being... Uh, that's Phil, Phil, sorry. Illegality. Uh, <laughs> I mean, can, I, can, can, can I come in here? Go, go on, oh, please. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're all students of Nigerian history, and I'm sure students of Nigerian politics. And as we stay in our local balance, Ojoro, Council, Ojoro, now, Phoenix, I gave, you, like, I gave you a history of what has been happening. I used Jim Obodo's experience with Chimaroke. That was 1999, when we just started a new dispensation. So everybody knows the game that once your godfather is in, once you have problems with your godfather, the next point of call is the House of Assembly. So it is not just about fixing, right, this illegality of governors trying to close up the legislature. It is fixing our democratic institutions, right? Exactly. Because Absolutely. we know that, we, we know very well that Obaseki can be impeached for a flimsy reason. And Obaseki, right? And so, so again, we, it's about testing our democratic institution. If I'm Obaseki, will I sit down and allow House of Assembly members I know that are working under the authority of Oshomede to impeach me? We all know, I mean, the answer is clear. Whether, I'm not you know, whether you allow it or not is not the issue. It's, the the no, issue no. is 
how do no, we no. build a democracy on the back of illegality? That's that's no, the no, no, no. I think himself does he come to equity with clean hands? He doesn't, no, but so, Felix, this is the symptom of the problem. It is not the problem. Obaseki locking up the legislature is not the problem. Get my that's my point. This is just a symptom. We've seen that he has locked up the legislature. We are all it's nobody supporting it. But yes, there's a deeper problem that says that someone can sit down and say, I want you guys to impeach this governor, right? And impeachment is done under one day or two days. That is a problem. You get what I'm trying to tell you? That is what the problem no, no, is. So I, I, I think I need to uh, I think that I need to step in here because of uh, time. But I, I'd say to conclude this conversation, I I I think I, I agree with both sides. On the one hand, I think yes, it's important that uh, procedure is followed. But I quite agree with the others against Phoenix that uh, you have to step back and look at the politics of what is going on. The House members themselves were never going to follow the rules to impeach Obasaki. <laughs> they were going to use an underhand uh, procedure to remove him from office because even according to the procedure, you have to get the chief justice, chief judge of the state involved. There has to be accusations tabled. There has to be time to investigate. But we exactly. all, that was never going to happen. The whole point of the inspector general of police giving them security was to fast track the whole process mm -hmm. to out of office. So whilst I agree that Obasaki too has probably not abided by the law, I think it's also correct that the rogue members of the House were not intending to be law-abiding. They were just intending to get him out by any means necessary. But on to the next topic, which is also uh, an APC-related uh, matter. Uh, Governor of Kaduna State, Nasir Arufai, gave an interview to uh, BBC in which he said he did not agree that the next president should come from the north or that the next president should be chosen by a competitive process. He said no, that the south of Nigeria should produce the president based on the understanding of, of, of zoning and how Nigeria has maintained a political balance. But the follow-up question to him was, well, if you agree with this principle of rotation and understanding, between North and South and maintaining political balance. Why is it that in your own state, Kaduna, you don't follow this principle? And then he replied by saying he believed in merit and he worked with people on the basis of merit. And that's caused a lot of uh, debate all around. So the, the first issue is the debate about whether or not power should rotate between North and South. The second issue is whether power should remain within, uh, should also, the thing, same thing should happen in Kaduna state. So. To Phoenix first, um, a refined statement that power should go to the south. Do, do you agree? I think under the current arrangement, yes, I do. Um, even though I've stated clearly, and I think I said it on our last show or the, or the, or the one before that, that my preference is, um, is for it to be a meritocracy and for anybody to be able to, uh, to aspire to office regardless of where they are from. But given, given the the an understanding of where we are politically in the country and, and the need to carry everyone along, I absolutely agree with him that, I mean, they, it, it, should, it should come to the south and preferably to the southeast. I've been very clear that that's my preference. Um, but uh, whether he is the right person to, to be passing that message across is, is not uh, something I'm totally sure about, given, that, given his own antecedents and the way he's run Kaduna State. And, which came out in the interview that he gave. 
um, where he where he spoke about not being concerned about where people come from when they work with him. But on the point that on the first point that he made, I absolutely agree with. Well, no, no, no. Thank you for setting this up. I was going to bring in the Afro Seven at this point because I know you were you have a you are you are you are a supporter of uh, Governor Rafai. So I was, I was going to ask you about about this 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 point. The first thing is, if if he's such a believer in rotation, why is it that in his own state, Kaduna, he's not adopting that same balance? I mean, he's he's running he's running his deputy governor is 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 of, a, of the same religion as his, especially when you know the way Kaduna is a very uh, sensitive, uh, diverse state. So why is he doing the opposite in his state? Um, I think I have to start by saying that Nigerian politicians are inherently selfish, probably politicians everywhere, but with respect to the Nigerian politicians, they I said his choice of a Muslim female uh, deputy governor was obviously to ensure that his block was secure. It wasn't about uh, helping Kaduna in one way or the other. It was about helping his own ambitions because Kaduna has always had balanced tickets. You get a Muslim governor, you get a, a Christian deputy or vice versa, as in the case of Patrick Yakoa, right? So that that's on the table. Secondly, I don't disagree with either of his points. Um, the first point, um, I think I read the interview and he said his outlook is based on this interview, I'm not speaking of what he said earlier, because I'm certain that you can find other interviews where he said something else. But based on this particular interview, he said he doesn't believe in zoning. However, at the national level, given the disparity and, and, and the differences and all that, and everybody needed to be represented, zoning was probably better at the national level. For him and Kaduna, his shoes and merit. He's not going to be the governor forever. He will leave office in 2023. Somebody else will come and run it differently. Um, I also think his position um, on the presidency is also self-interested because obviously he knows inevitably you would need a governor from the north. And he's one of the ones very keen, despite what he's saying, he's one of the ones very keen to toss his hat into the ring. So I think obviously, again, he's trying to protect his own interest because if we're being fair, the South is, is, is big. Are you talking South-South? Are you talking Southwest? Are you talking Southeast? You know, uh, when I say South, to me, that probably means Southwest, right? So, um, yeah, I don't, I, on the face of it, I don't disagree with either positions, but when you dig in, you understand that obviously the fellow is, you know, essentially looking out for himself. As I, as I said earlier, that's what Nigerian politicians uh, um, want to do. Yeah. So, but, to, so are you, are you saying, so on, on the second point, this idea that he doesn't see why there should be a balance in his state, we know him well enough from his public utterances. Now, let's, let's, let's be frank. If Rufai was not governor and the governor of Kaduna State was a Christian and his deputy was a Christian, would Rufai be saying these things that he doesn't care about uh, diversity, that he's only concerned with merit? No, he wouldn't be saying these things. Um, I think it's apparent. I just said to you, this man is self-interested. <laughs> so no, he would be saying the exact opposite of what he's saying today. It's, it's, that's, there's just no two ways about it. Yeah. No, because uh, no, I, I quite agree. Because uh, from my reading of, of his uh, politics over the years, yeah, he seems he's a very, he's, he, I, I think it would be incorrect to even describe him as like ordinary politicians. I think Arafat is particularly devious. He's in, he's in a league of his own in terms of deviousness. So, 
I, I, I'm a bit uh, skeptical, but I was going to bring in Eluka at this point. So uh, firstly, Eluka, he gave that statement in response to what Mamandara said a week before, when Mamandara said he thought the presidency should be, should be decided on merit. So is there some kind of fight going on between him and Dara? Um, well, there's, there's something we need to give Arofai credit for. He knows how to read the times. So clearly, Arofai is a master schemer. I give him credit for that. Now, what I think Arofai has done, done is he has marked register. I mean, you know, you know there's something we should do if you don't want to go for a class. And your lecturer is kind of person that always takes down names of people who attend the class. So, they, so when you want to write the exam, you show you, you didn't have 70% attendance, you can't write my exam. You just tell your friend, please write my name down. So what Arifai has done is to mark as, as someone who has come out to stand for the South and saying he believes, he might not really be, believe, but he feels that the presidency should be zoned to the South. So it's not the fight between him and Mamandara. It is that he's seen that Mamandara said something and what Mamandara said has generated a lot of controversy. So he wants to come out as the schema is and say, I think, oh, I may not agree, oh, but I think the president should, should be zoned to the South. So he has made that statement. Do I think Arifai believes that the president should be zoned to the South? I don't think so. But Arifai is who he is. And like Tola said, self-interest. All Nigerian politicians think about self-interest. He has seen that if he comes out and says this thing now, and truly, it happens that the presidency is zoned to the south. Orofi can completely come out and say, when it was not politically correct to say the president should be zoned to the south, I, Nasir Orofi, said it should be zoned to the south. So he might want to be a bit of compensation, right? So there's no fight. Orofi is not willing to fight with anybody at this point in time. What he's willing to do is to look at where are the signs and where do I position myself? How can I benefit from what is happening? So he has marked register. Just take it like that. No, but, for sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, no, you can ask your question. No, because the reason why I'm asking this is if you remember about a year or a year and a half ago, El Rufai was actually the first person to come out to say he did not believe in zoning, that the president should be chosen on merit. Exactly. I, I, I remember, remember that. You remember that interview? He was actually the first to say what Mamandara is saying. So my own suspicion is that there's clearly been a falling out in the power circle. And I suspect Mamandara's camp, who have influence over Buhari, are pushing for a northerner to succeed Buhari. And that northerner is not El Rufai. So because of that split, he's trying to scupper their plans by now pretending to support a southern candidate. Because this was not his position literally a year and a half ago. I remember him saying yeah. that. Yeah, but, 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 like I, but like I said something, I verified this schema. Now, of course, and there, there, there's something you need to understand about Nigerian politicians. It's the fluidity of their positions. You might say something, he might have said something last year, because at that particular point in time, right, in order to take that position to get something or to infer something or to, I mean, whatever you wanted to do. Now, he's taking a different position now because of what I think is clear. People are suddenly saying that if barriers for eight years, right, it is not, well, I say morally or politically right for the North to rule another eight years because of zoning. And let's not forget, right? How old is Erufai? Erufai is in his 50s, right? 
No, no, he's, he's 60. Oh, he's up to 60. Yes, I think you remember I had his birthday party where people were writing tributes. Don't you remember? Uh, well, I, I don't recall. I don't follow Betty. I don't follow his birthday party. So, <laughs> Michael keeps a track of Elrofi's life, you see. <laughs> so, 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 Michael, right? He can, if Elrofi misses out on the president, if the, if the, if the, if the presidency is zoned to the north, obviously it's not going to be him. It's either going to be zoned to the northeast or the north central. That's one point. So he's going to miss out. Now, if he's zoned, so that means for eight years, there's going to be a northern ruling. Now, when you add eight years to Elrofi's age, I'm not sure he can ever become president again. Right? Yeah. So, the be- so the best thing is to align yourself with your best possible option for you, which is say what needs to be said. You don't need to believe that the presidency is going to be zoned to the south or the presidency is, we need competent people. All you need to believe is if I take this position, how would it benefit me? Which is what Erifai has done. Forget what he said two years ago, or three years ago, or four years ago. I mean, everybody said something. I'm minded to agree with Michael. I think there has been a falling out in uh, at, uh, behind the scenes that he's trying to set himself apart right now. Because also, whilst, you're, whilst you've got your eye on what Arafai is saying, don't forget that the South is also having its own scoreboards as who they're going to present for the presidency. Arafai is busy aligning himself with his preferred candidate in the South. Rumor has it, it's fire me, but you didn't hear it from me. So things are happening. Do you see what I mean? Things are happening. For the APC to stay together, there is no way a Northern candidate can be presented. There is no way. Numbers-wise, they can say, damn it, and present a Northern candidate anyway, because as we've seen with the last elections, numbers appear from the sky. But politically speaking, it'll be, it won't be expedient for the APC to collapse because the South is suddenly, the Southwest in particular, has picked up his toys and, and walked out of the room. You see what I mean? So it's in his own personal interest for the APC to stay together and for him to be on a joint ticket with a Southern candidate. That's well, what I think. I suppose I was going to bring in uh, Phoenix at this point because Afro 7 has said the APC, for the APC to stay together, it has to be a Southern candidate. And Rufai is obviously angling for Fire Me. And I know that uh, Tinubu is also interested in, in the race. Now, one of the things I heard, I think about four years ago, I went to Nigeria and I was talking to the pastor of a very prominent church. And one thing he said to me was, if after Buhari, Nigeria does not select an Igbo candidate for the presidency, that this, this pastor is not even Igbo. This pastor is uh, from the South, not, not Igbo. The pastor said she herself would support secession because this is madness. Why would... Igbo people will be denied the chance to be president because it's almost as if the APC is having a conversation between the Northwest and the Southwest, as if uh, the Southeast is not a part of Nigeria. So, so to Phoenix, what, what, do, would, it, would it make sense for the Southwest, i.e. Fire Me and or Tinubu to be the, the candidates when you have a Southeast that is still part of Nigeria? I think it would make sense um, if if it's if if it's if we're talking about the APC because the party structure really isn't that strong in that part of the country. If we're being uh, very realistic and pragmatic about this, um, of course, I do see uh, Amechi trying to position himself as as an Igbo candidate um, of late. Uh, and perhaps that's the route that they might decide to go as a compromise. I do know that I do 
have the fit sense that uh, um, Buhari rates him highly and will therefore not find him to, to not be fit. But I think that's where the drama is. And going back to the conversation that was happening before about El Rufai's choices, I think he's just read the tea leaves and sort of like seeing that the people who are still angling for a Northern candidate uh, were the cabal and were the, were the uh, kitchen cabinet of Buhari and the old CPC dudes. Now, don't forget that of the, of the three of them that we used to hear about, two are gone now. Um, and so that hand is a bit weakened. So Mamandara can say whatever he wants, but the question is, are they are still as influential as before? And maybe um, Rufai has seen that, and that's why within a year he's changing tack. But the drama will be in the South where you already have someone in place who's VP, who's Southwest, and he has to be definitely be in the conversation. You have a, a Tinubu who will give all he can to make sure that um, the investment that he made eight, uh, five years ago or, or six years ago or whatever pays dividend and that he, he is the person who leads the APC charge and, and is willing to do whatever he takes. And the fact that there's this sort of moral conundrum around how can you continue to ignore the Southeast even though they're not a key structure within the party so that's which is where i think the amici angle comes from but i think the drama is going to be in the south i think at the end of the day they might end up going with the southwesterner because that's just where their power base lies within the party um but then again they also you see there's so many intrigues there's also the fact that i suspect that the pdp will bring a northerner so <laughs> again for them they have to also take those calculations into those permutations into their Populations and then decide where they go. I would like Eloka to have the last word on this. That way he can respond to me and to Phoenix. Okay, so Eloka, please, I beg your pardon. Let me just respond to, to, Michael, to Michael's earlier question to Phoenix. I mean, I think pragmatically speaking, like Phoenix said, it makes perfect sense this APC move, right? You know, because they don't have a stronghold in the Southeast. So who are they going to present? Sans Amechi, I think it'll be, it'll be insulting to the Southeast, even though Amechi probably is Igbo, you know, it'll be insulting to, because in, in, in Nigerian political, um, uh, in, the, in the game they play, Amechi is a person from the South-South. He might be an Igbo man, but his slot, quote unquote, with the federal government's cabinet is as the person from the South-South. So it'll be politically insulting, ethnically perhaps not, but politically insulting to the Southeast to present Amechi as a Southeastern candidate from my point of view. However, this is the question that needs to be asked when we ask this because it'll be, it, it's kind of patronizing to speak about this without asking what the, how the Southeast itself is positioning that region for the presidency. There is nothing I'm more desirous of and within my lifetime to see a southeastern president from a selfish point of view because it shows that nigeria has moved a long way from the war that we're finally at a point of reconciling and making our country a real one you know instead of one held together by special interests do you see what i'm saying but how they arrive there within this apc structure i don't see it even within the pdp structure you're talking numbers and in terms of numbers to counter the joker of the south you need to present the king of the north. So I don't see how the southeast angle would come in. I would love to see it personally, but politically, right now, I just don't see it. 
Yes. No, just just to be clear before Luca goes, I think that's a great point um, on on the southeast, and I think the that's why the PDP angle, where you where the VP is a stepping stone to the presidency, seems to be the easiest route in the sense that you you're going together with with a northerner, and then ultimately you have a a president from the southeast. But well, I agree, I I don't see how it works in the APC. But Eloka, please carry on. So um. Really, I mean, there's a lot of conversation about whether the president should go to the southeast or south south. I'm from the southeast, right? So, but I'm going to give my own opinion. From the conversations I've had with people, myself, my family, my friends, people from the southeast, the presidency, <laughs> to be honest, is not important to people from the southeast. I, 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 I stand to be corrected, though. So, it's, so you see, there's a lot of scheming, right? in the southwest, or less on the part of the APC. And to be honest, the APC has no standing in the southeast. So this, nobody in the southeast is even right, saying, okay, we deserve the presidency because, I mean, Nigeria should be morally, whatever, whatever take you want to, whatever way you want to see it. So nobody is actually, nobody is actually looking at saying, maybe a Rocha's culture, right, deserves to be president. I'm from the southeast. Instead of Rocha's being the president, let fire me be the president. That's the honest truth. You understand? So, but on the PDP is now, so like what um, Phoenix and Jenna said, it is going to be very difficult, right? Now, for a Southeasterner to run the flag under the flag of PDP. I, I'm not sure, it, I'm, it's going to be very difficult. So the only, the only, the only way a Southeasterner South can get that leverage is to become VP to a Northerner, which is why I believe, right? The PDP might feel they're not fair. Irrespective of what, whatever the APC does, that's the way I see it. And so the argument would be a one-term Northerner, a two-term Southeasterner. That's what I think is going to happen. The APC might still field a Southwestern, and it's not going to be a big deal. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Southwest has invested a lot in the APC. So it's winner takes all. Like I cannot, in all honesty, say that the APC should zone the president to the southeast when nobody in the southeast is actually pushing for it. Rochas is not pushing for it. The only person pushing for it is Amici. Of course, nobody's going to listen to Amici. So that's why I see it. So in as much as we can talk of the moral angle, oh, the southeast deserves the presidency, but realistically, I don't see it happening. Not in 2023. No, I think that's my view. No, thank you for the various diverse uh, opinions. Obviously, where, where we can't agree, my view, obviously, to conclude this topic is I think the whole point of a political party is it's not always about whether that region gave you votes because the PDP never governed like that. The PDP always owned various positions, even at the time when the PDP was choosing northern candidates. The north was not voting PDP. Obasanjo's uh, second term in office, he didn't win the north but yet they still chose a Northern president to support him. So I think it should not always be about which zone gave you votes. A, a party that is a national party should sometimes take, use their own, as they say in Nigeria, use their own brain to pull out a minority or somebody from a, a different part of the country and say, look, let's give him support. He's competent. Let's support him to be president. But anyway, onto the final topic. Uh, there was drama about uh, ShopRite, the South, the South African 
supermarket uh, chain. The whole story from top to bottom has just been drama because nobody seems to be able to figure out what exactly happened. But apparently in their report, the, um, the financial reports released uh, recently, they said they were thinking of pulling out of Nigeria or in, in, in fact, either selling selling their, their total stake or at least selling a majority stake and retaining the minority stake in Nigeria. And that triggered off uh, debates between defenders of Buhari and opponents of Buhari. Defenders of Buhari said, it seemed to say it was a good thing because it means more Nigerians be able to take part in the retail industry because ShopRite is, li- is leaving. So firstly to uh, Phoenix, ShopRite's departure, good or bad? I, I, I really don't know whether it's, I don't see it as a good or bad um, thing. I, I think it's emblematic of um, a couple of things. One, um, the economic situation um, that we've had um, and, the, and some of the challenges that they've had running their business. So when you look at some of the statements that they've made, they've, they've continually mentioned that over in their reports over the last um, couple of years, um, which we all know, and we've seen other South African companies leave the country. But when you also look at their their results and, and their reports and what they've done as a company um, over the last five years, it also seems odd that this is happening now. And I, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One, because um, since since the Buhari government came in and we've seen the different way they've managed the economy and the challenges that have happened with import bans, with FX rates, which naturally has affected a retailer, ShopRite has actually doubled its footprint in Nigeria. They've gone from 12 stores to 25 stores. In the middle of all of that difficulty, in the middle of a recession, they've increased customers. They've done good business. Their 25 stores are more profitable on a per store basis than all their business elsewhere, including in South Africa. So it, 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 it makes you wonder why all of a sudden. And then when I started digging in, I looked at the reports. I didn't notice that when they shared their report for the first half of, because their financial year is from July to June. So when they, so when they shared their reports for the first half of, the, of this particular financial year that just ended, that was a report for d- December. They talked about the impact of the xenophobic issue in September and how the business was impacted severely in terms of there was an actual boycott and you could see the footfall that dropped significantly from from the stores and and all of that. And then when they give this recent guidance around, look, we might discontinue our operations, blah, blah, blah. What was important, what what was poignant for me was the fact that they started with a statement that said, um, due to... um, um, due to interest that has been shown by investors, we're now considering um, um, reviewing our operations in Nigeria and we might sell all or part of our, of our business there to, to local investors. So for me, <laughs> and, and call me conspiracy theorists, call me crazy, I do not think this is, yes, there is a business angle to it and they've, they've had issues with the economy, but they've been able to weather that storm and continue to run their business. But I think that, I, I suspect that there's some leverage in happening here. 
that is that is my read from the whole story given when i look at their financials and given when i look at nigeria and all the other things that have happened with an mtn and blah 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 i think that there is some leverage here i think that that the fact that they started with that somebody is interested and looking to to buy um, a stake or buy them portends that they are being muscled out in some way or form i might be wrong but that's my read from it and you don't jump from one position to another in six months nobody makes that kind of a decision in six months gives no guidance and all of a sudden you just simply send out a statement and say by the time we're giving our report in a few weeks that we might be telling you that we've left nigeria it's incredible i've never seen that kind of swift action in divesting before so but it just tells me that this thing has been going on and adding all of that together that's where i'm leaning at this particular point in time no, no, thank you, Phoenix, for your response, because you've raised uh, some interesting issues. One of them I was going to ask uh, Afro, Afro 7. The, the, the first issue of Afro 7 is, why is it that when news like this happens, why do Buhari supporters celebrate this as, as good news, that all of a sudden, because foreign businesses are leaving, it means Nigerians can now take part? Why, why does that always happen? Well, to be fair, Michael, we're talking about a bunch of people that don't really understand business. Do you understand? Like we've been fed a dose or several strong doses of monopolies, government intervention, government ownership. So, I mean, the Buhari government itself has that ideology, right? This idea that we can grow everything we eat when even the United States and China don't grow everything they eat. So a lot of people see this as a chance for Buhari's, uh, let's say, political ideology to play out. You know, so ShopRite leaves, and then someone will give you an example of one farmer he knows that farms 1,000 chickens, so that individual will be able to take over <laughs> ShopRite. You know, like, it, these are things that they say, like this silly nationalism that's not backed up by reality. We just don't have the infrastructure. We don't, Nigerian businesses don't like to compete on the scale that ShopRite is on. You have Ebano, right? Ebano is in Lagos. I mean, look, I don't, to be honest, the way they figure out logistics to me is a personal miracle. And I would really like to listen at length to understand how they make it work. We can, so the government's uh, uh, policies are not business friendly. Yes, Ebano works. So I suppose to give them small credit, they're thinking, okay, if ShopRite exits, somebody like Ebano can take over ShopRite's uh, presence. But if it could be done, it would have been done already. That's the way I see it. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pro Nigerians as in pro your everyday Nigerian. And when I read this news, what struck me in my panic, admittedly, is how many people could potentially be rendered jobless. We're not talking just about the immediate stuff. We're talking about secondary third parties as well. Do you see what I mean? So the supply chain, how many people that feeds, how many people that, that, you know, that improves their lives. Those are the worries on my mind. Because I feel like if a Nigerian chain competes with ShopRite, you know how jingoistic the Buhari government is, at least in theory. If a Nigerian uh, operation had any chance of competing with ShopRite, they would have stifled ShopRite. You know, just very much like they're trying to do to uh, 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 DSTV and its parent company, trying to muscle them out for a minor operation that the Minister of Information has an interest in. You know, so that's, that's the Buhari government's modus operandi. So we don't even need to second guess this. If it were possible for a Nigerian operation to take over shop rights or to even compete, it would have been done already. To the no. detriment of, of, of business and employees, it would have been done already. 
No, I must, I must thank you for your in, insight because I, I think yes, you're right. Uh, Buhari's and his supporters seem to have this this love for uh, the idea that everything should be made in Nigeria. And I think you're also right about the, the job angle. It's not just a company leaving their thousands of jobs that are connected to the food retail industry and they could be at risk if ShopRite uh, checks out. But I suppose the, the question for Eloka is the second thing that Phoenix raised, which is the idea that they might have wanted to stay, but for the fact that maybe there's some hidden Nigerian businessman who is trying to muscle them out, i.e. maybe somebody connected to the government is trying to uh, muscle out ShopRite to take their shares. Do you, do you think there's any merit in what uh, Phoenix has said? Well, you know what? As Phoenix was saying this, and I just had to go, go back and think about the South African businesses in Nigeria, MTN, DSTV, and on ShopRite. And to be very frank, I think they've been under some form of pressure from the government for a while now. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I actually thought that the reason why ShopRite um, was finally was, it was a balance sheet problem. So I thought they had looked at their balance sheet, they looked at the projections for Nigeria and said, you know what, we've invested, we've, we've consolidated, and maybe they think this is time to exit, take, cap, take profits, it's okay. We don't, see, we, don't, we don't have been seeing that we'll see this kind of growth in Nigeria, maybe in the midterm. So we will look for new investors, take, our prop, take, take back some of our capital and profits, and we'll still run the shops, but I mean, we want to, be, want to look for other investment outlets. I thought that was a decision, right? I thought their decision to leave was strictly a balance sheet decision. But with what, I've, what Phoenix Agenda said, and I mean, when you do your one plus one, you see what's happening with um, DSTV, what's happening, what has happened to MTN. I'm, it might not be wrong to say there is an underhand, there's some, there's some form of foul play going on somewhere. Because, I mean, if you said, if, if, their, if their previous statement was that, I mean, their profits, their... And profit per store is better than all your stores outside Nigeria. Then, why would you want to leave in six months? So I, so I think maybe they've been forced, right, to sell part of their business to a named person. So it's it's possible that it is not just it is not a it is no longer a balance sheet problem. It is now a political problem. I mean, it's cost across. Look at the South African businesses: multi choice slash DSTV. MTN, 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 at least MTN has tried to, they've listed whatever, they've met whatever terms the government, like they must have agreed with the government. ShopRite, it's, it's, and the retail space, like what um, Afro7 said, if truly there was a Nigerian that could match ShopRite, pound for pound, we won't, we, it would have happened a long while ago. You understand? So yeah. I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to see the, see this thing in a different light. And, and truly, I, I hope it is not, I hope, I hope it is a balance sheet problem and not a political problem. Well, I must uh, thank you for your responses because our time is up now. So I think we need to round up. But I think you're, I, I'm, I agree with you and I hope you're right that it's more, actually, I hope none of them are correct because we don't want any businesses in Nigeria to be having balance sheet problems. But on the other hand, <laughs> also don't want any business to be handed out because there's some corrupt person connected to government that wants to buy a stake in them. So I'm hoping both are wrong and that uh, hopefully uh, more businesses 
for international businesses with international expertise uh, come to Nigeria because they, they not only add value to themselves, they add value to the skill set of Nigerians who work for them and they also create jobs for Nigerians. So I think on, on that note, I must first of all thank Afro7 and then thank Eloka for joining us on the show today. I must thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Pleasure. I must thank our listeners for being loyal and giving us sensible feedback every week and for always continually listening to our podcast. And I must also thank uh, Phoenix for partnering with me, partnering with me on this project. So uh, until next week, I say have a good or have a fantastic week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Thank you. Bye, everyone.